0: Enough now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. Of course, it is Wednesday hump day. And we're just getting over the hump for Christmas. right around the corner. I don't, what are we supposed to do between now and the end of the year? Does anybody know? (laughs) I'm just. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. I I know that's where I'm at right now. I was like, there ain't nothing going on. I'm trying to find stuff to write about. And (laughs) there is like nothing going on right now. It's like, okay, here's a challenge for you. Yeah. Yeah. Your next uh, update. Sure. Do it as a limerick. That's just stupid. (laughs) Well, it's a challenge. (laughs) It's a challenge. If you got nothing to write about, (laughs) it'll take me longer to figure to write a limerick than would to figure out something to write. Well, well, that's the point. (laughs) Okay. You wanted something. No, I don't want something more to do. (laughs) Anyway, shut up. Go over there. Do your thing. Uh, Anyway, yeah, Christmas right around the corner, of course, and uh, it it really is slowing down a whole lot here. Uh, Futures looking at a point down a little bit this morning. Um, not surprising. This this market's just been on a tear. We've just been talking about that lately, and you know it's interesting because you know everybody's now gone from just October was this market's never going to stop going down to where now it's this market's just never going to stop going up, and it's just a, it's a very interesting change psychologically. I see this on you know my Twitter feed as well. It's like this is this market's insane. It just it's not ever going to stop going up. It is. It's just a question of time, right? It's just when we get there, we get there, and, and, and that'll be the thing. Um, so just, you know, manage your portfolio accordingly. Things will back up here a bit, and as is always the case, you know, you stretch your band as far as you can in one direction. It's going to go back in the other direction at some point. That's just a function of time. But, hey, good news is Santa Claus is getting ready to come to town. Theoretically, he should show up on Monday um, on Wall Street, but Wall Street will be closed on Monday for the actual Christmas holiday. So will actually show up on Tuesday. Uh, the Santa Claus rally technically the last five days of, Janu- uh, of December, the first two days of January. So that's, you know, everybody's very hopeful that they, they will get uh, lots of presence this year on Wall Street. No, no coal is the plan. Uh, we'll see what happens. But again, markets come very far, very fast, and it's all good for right now. Now, uh, economically speaking, Atlanta Fed out yesterday, um, you know, some of the data that we've seen coming in lately has been coming in a good bit stronger than expected. Uh, Atlanta Fed out yesterday, we've almost got a 3% growth rate in the economy for quarter four. Now, this is coming off a 5.2% growth rate in quarter three. So. Very strong pickup in economic data. And this is kind of the interesting thing for the Fed. Of course, uh, you know, this whole market rally that we've had really since uh, the end of October is based on this idea that the Fed's going to start cutting rates soon. And normally when the Fed's cutting rates, as we've talked about before, it's because, hey, we're trying to stave off economic weakness, whatever it is. But it's not out there, right? 5.4% growth in in quarter three, 3% growth in quarter. This is real. 3% annualized growth rates in uh, quarter and almost uh, 3% growth rates in in quarter four. There's not really any sign of a big slowdown economically speaking. A lot of the economic data is still plugging along. Unemployment rate remains low. Um, Wage growth still ticking up here a little bit. So again, doesn't seem to be any real issues right now economically speaking as we head into the first quarter of next year. So now here's the important thing. If you're expecting a near-term recession, this is an important point. So let's just use 3% as the number, right? So in order to get to a recession, what is technically the definition of a recession, and that is two negative quarters of economic growth of GDP, right? So that's kind of the rough that's kind of the rough ballpark. You need more than that to go along, you need to pick up an unemployment, some other things, but you know, technically the kind of the benchmark test for a recession is two quarters, consecutive quarters of negative economic growth. Well, in order to get there, right, we've got to go from 3% growth to zero, and then you've got to go negative, right? So we've got to spend time just going from 3% to zero before we can even start talking about a recession. So that we haven't seen happen yet, right? So that's going to take some time. So if you're expecting like, you know, I'm hiding out in the bunker right now and I think a recession is going to happen like any day now. Probably not because again, you've got to go from 3% to 2% to 1% growth, get to 0, that's still not a recession. Then you have got to get into negative growth for two quarters. So, again, you you got to kind of keep this in mind when you start if you're expecting a real negative outcome in the markets, does it mean it can't happen? Of course it can. Right? Of course we can have a recession next year. It's just probably not going to happen in the first quarter because again, you've got to slow that economic growth rate. You've got to get down to the bottom of the hill before you can actually start talking about a recession. We're just not there yet. So again, this is going to be frustrating if you're in the, in the big bearish camp. But this also brings up the point, though, about what may or may not outperform next year. And of course, a lot of people right now are expecting small caps to be the leaders next year over large caps. Normally, that would be the case. In an environment where you have very low interest rates, that can help boost profit margins for small caps, you know, Fed cutting rates, et cetera. Normally that's where small caps tend to do a bit better than large cap stocks. However, you've gotta be a little bit cautious with this. If you're a long-term investor, one thing to just pay attention to, um, you know, let's look at, let's just take, for example, and let's look at a uh, 10-year chart uh, as an example of the S&P 500, right? So let's just take a real long-term look here. So this is a long-term chart of the S&P 500. And, you know, going back to, uh, you know, 20 years ago. So, you know, we've got the financial crisis, we've got the pandemic, and there's this nice sloping uptrend of, of the S&P 500. So, again, not surprising that, we, that we've that we seen this. And so, you know, this is when we start talking about these, you know, kind of different things and taking a look at, say, for instance, let's look at the, the you know, the growth rate over the last 20 years. So over the last 20-year period, the S&P 500 is up 332%. So... Big number now what's interesting here is is that as we look at this it's a very nice sloping uptrend here and we're getting core toward, towards the top setting all-time highs that's obviously what everybody's kind of focused on right now but if we take a same look at say for instance the small cap 600 or actually let's uh let's let's do this let's look at iwm as a, as a better measure so this is iwm so iwm is kind of the russell 2000 that's kind of a blend of small cap mid cap kind of captures that whole basic sector So the S&P is up 332% over that 20-year period. The small mid-cap index is only up 263% and nowhere near an all-time high. So again, there's a very big difference in performance. Yes, small caps can, in the short term, maybe provide some outperformance here or there because of variabilities to the markets, et cetera. But over the long term, if you're a longer-term investor, large-cap investing has been the way to go um, over that time frame, because you've, far, you've vastly outpaced what small caps have generated. But importantly, you know, and again, if we zoom in here a little bit, let's just go in over the last five years. And, and this is the, really kind of the important note right now. Over the last couple of weeks, right, we've heard a lot of talk about, oh man, small caps are just killing it over large caps. Yeah, that's true, right? But they haven't done anything, really, since May of 2022. We are just basically back to where we were in May of 22. So, over the last year, these stocks have done nothing. And again, they're way off their all time highs. So, again, yes, we've had some really nice outperformance in small caps as of late. But if you are expecting weaker economic growth next year, right? Small caps aren't where you want to be because small caps are very economically sensitive. So the bet on small caps, if you want to bet on small caps, I don't. Have, I'm not saying don't. Right? That's up to you. But if your if your thesis is small caps are going to outperform next year, that thesis has to be based on stronger economic growth, because again, small mid cap stocks are much more economically sensitive than large caps because. They're smaller companies. They have less revenues. They have less profits. The other thing that has been a big differential in the drivers is small and mid caps don't do buybacks, right, corporate buybacks. We had a record level of corporate buybacks over the last month, which has been contributing to this big S&P rally. Uh, Small and mid caps don't have that tailwind of buybacks like large cap stocks do. Just something to consider as you start thinking about where to allocate money. I'm not saying don't for next year. I'm just saying things to consider as you think about allocations as we go into next year. Okay, that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back from the break, we'll get into, hey, this soft landing narrative might be a little bit dangerous. Talk about that right after the break on The Real Investment Show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So part of the uh, rally that we've been seeing over the last month and a half, really ever since the end of uh, almost two months now, actually, since we get ready to wrap up the year, um, has been based on this thesis that the Federal Reserve is going to cut rates, and as they and they're going to do this um, just right around the corner, they'll start cutting rates, and and that'll be good because then that'll help you know soften the expected economic slowdown, right? So there's been this big, you know, fear or, or, or thinking, right, that the economy is going to go into a recession because the Fed hiked rates. Now, look, there's plenty of evidence that that is probably the case. We've had inverted yield curves. We've had the Fed hiking rates, tightening monetary policy, et cetera, so forth and so on. And historically, that has always – led to a recession, right? However, this time, so far, economic data has been exceedingly strong, much stronger than you would have expected this far into a cycle of Fed rate hikes. And... Consumers keep uh, just kind of spending and and doing what they're doing. The economy continues to kind of chug along, and again, not not at a a crawling pace, right? We're almost at three percent growth for the Q4, as I said a minute ago. And part of that reason is because of all the money that's been flooded into the system, right? And that's still out there. That M2 as a percentage of GDP still remains very high. And you know, when people, um, you know. I saw an interesting ad out or conversation out yesterday about a firm. A firm had a big day in the market yesterday as they announced expanding their base inside of Walmarts. Inside of Walmart. Just not plural, Walmart. It's like saying the Walmart. This is what I get for trying to do two things at once. Or Walmart. Yeah, exactly. No, it's it's always funny. It's like I'm going to go to the Walmart, the Walmart. and it's not it's not the Walmart. It's just I'm going to Walmart. And you tell people about it on the Twitter. Ex- correct. Yes. Well, actually, it's not the Twitter anymore. It's, it's the, the X. X. Yeah. Which nobody's ever going to call it the X. No. Ever. Worst. It's never going to happen. Branding ever. Well, he's got bigger bigger ideas. X is going to become a a me- what it's uh, basically a mega app. You'll uh-huh. be able to do everything mm-hmm. on Twitter eventually. That's his. That's his ultimate goal. But that's why he changed it from Twitter. It's, it's not going to be just a social media channel in the future. It's got. He's got bigger plans for it down the road. These kind of all-in-one uh, all-in-one apps. Um, so they announced though that they're going to expand their relationship. So if you don't know what a firm is, a firm is a buy now pay later company. So I'm going to give people without money money to spend that they're going to promise to pay me back over some period of time, right? That's that's what a firm does. But the point is, is we didn't really have these, you know, these, these companies, these buy now, pay later companies are a rel- relatively new invention. They've been around for a few years now. But there's been a rather large adoption of people using these as of late because they're running out of other sources of money. But that's kind of the point, right? And we've talked about this before. It's like consumers are very, very interesting because they are very creative in finding ways to get money that they want that they want to spend money on. Right. So I want to go out and shop, and I don't have any money in my bank account. I'm going to go find ways to get it. And they're very creative about that. They've always been able to, you know, roll credit cards, or in this case, now do buy now, buy now, buy now, pay later programs, and. You know, they're able to just keep bringing in forms of revenue to go spend money. Now, they're just going deeper and deeper into debt, unfortunately. And yes, there's eventually going to be a payback for that. And that's why you take, you know, it was an interesting uh, article out yesterday talking about Gen Xers have the biggest wealth gap of all the generations right now. They, the average Gen Xer has about $400,000 in savings, sorry, in net worth, right? That's including the equity in their home. And in order to retire, they need $1.1 million, right? So, you know, that $600,000 gap's a problem. But, you know, this is, you know, this is the vast majority of Americans. The vast majority of Americans have very little money in the bank. They have very little in savings. They, they have a lot of debt. Yeah, they may have a house, but it's mortgage to the hilt for the most part. So, you know, this is... What is keeping though the, the the economy going? And you know, you kind of scratch your head and go, Well, this uh this soft landing, you know, the, this this economy is just rolling along. And as we talked about before, you've got to do a good bit of work to get into a recession. But you know, right now the Fed is saying, Hey, we're we're you know, this is the, the Wall Street's interpretation is is that the Fed has done hiking rates. You know, Jerome Powell has made the statement that you know, the, the the market and yields were doing the work for the Fed. Well, that's been completely unwound. Over the last month and a half, we've had the the most prolific drop in financial conditions that we've seen in, in recent history. So all that tightening that was being done by the market has been completely reversed. And, you know, one, one thing that kind of surprised us at the last FOMC meeting was that Powell made no mention of that, and that was really what spurred asset prices even higher. It's like, oh, okay, the 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 Fed doesn't even care about loosening financial conditions anymore. They've clearly given up their fight on inflation, and that was a very interesting point. You know, there, there's been a lot of conversation, even Michael on here on the show with me, saying, oh, the Fed can't back off their inflation fight because they'll lose all credibility. Well, they've 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 dropped their inflation fight. They don't care. At least it doesn't seem to be the case at this point. And this is really, you know, kind of the path. You know, last week, and I'm going to quote to you from an article this morning, uh, talking about this very issue. uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell finally pivoted, signaling the path for rates will be down rather than up in 2024 while reiterating his view, the U.S. economy will perform well with unemployment staying reasonably low and inflation cooling off. Now, he didn't really pivot in his statement. Where the pivot came was in the Fed's projections for Fed funds rates going out over the next year, which showed three rate cuts. But the takeaway from... Powell's comments last week was that the Fed can see its long, kind of long fought for soft landing coming into focus. And what that is, is that is a slowdown in economic activity without going into a recession. So in other words, we go from 5.2% to 3% growth in quarter four to 2% growth in Q1. We get down to 1% growth in Q2, Q3 and then maybe you know somewhere in there you might even get down to half a percent growth, but then you start growing again, right? The economy just slows down, doesn't go into a recession. You don't have a big spike in unemployment. Everything just kind of glide. It's like a glide path onto the runway. It's that perfect scenario. According to the latest global fund manager survey from Bank of America, The survey, which takes responses from investors collectively managing nearly 700 billion, found that 66 percent of folks see a soft landing as their base case. 23 percent of investors still see a hard landing incoming, whereby the economy crashes into a recession after the Fed's aggressive rate hike since 2022. Only six percent of investors are expecting the seemingly impossible no landing to come through. The outcome, of course, is all based on the premise that for this kind of no-landing, soft-landing scenario is all based on this idea that the Fed can reverse their rate hikes and that all those rate hikes don't feed through into an economic loop where the consumer basically falls flat on their face at some point. In theory, what has been kind of the confounding issue up to this point is that the consumer is still going, right? The consumer hasn't hit that wall yet where interest rates have stopped them from doing things. You know, the housing market slowed down. We got to over 7% on 30-year mortgage rates. The housing market slowed down, but it didn't crash, which everybody was expecting, right? We got to five percent ten-year Treasury yields, and the market didn't completely collapse under itself. Activity still continued on. We had the whole debt ceiling issue, and every, every you know everything was resolved and moved on. It was no big deal. Remember all those headlines that, oh the debt ceiling, you know we're you know this is going to cause us to default on our debt, and we were saying no we're not, but you know that was the headlines. Didn't happen you know so all these different issues over the last year that were prognosticated to to be the calamity that unwound the market never occurred but we'll come back from the break does that mean it won't right we'll talk let's talk a little bit about 2024 and what some outcomes might be as we start looking forward into next year and and where you know ultimately the best place to be might 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 be right you know will it be small caps We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away. The real investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at real so just talking about this uh soft landing narrative that uh you know we're all kind of focused on at the moment because Again, that's kind of the hope, right? This, this, this market is being driven by this idea that the market's going to have this nice soft landing, or the economy is. Everything's going to be fine. Earnings are going to grow, which is very interesting, right? So the expectations are we're going to have a rather significant increase in earnings next year and a soft landing in the economy. Here's the problem with that narrative. Where does economic growth come from, right? That's consumers doing stuff in the markets, right, and the economy, right? They're going to the store, and they're, you know, going out to eat. They're doing all these type of things. So if the economy is going to slow down, that means they do less of that, right? Where do earnings come from for companies? You know, a company like Chipotle, right, which has all the restaurants, If people are spending less money, where do the revenues come from and where do the earnings come from? Apple, you know, just yesterday announced that they're going to have to suspend their watch sales over a patent issue right here at Christmas. Now, I don't know about you, but in the past, you know, we don't buy our kids, you know, new Apple phones for Christmas. It's generally Apple accessories for their phone, right? It's a ear, you know. They're they're constantly losing their their AirPods, so that's almost an, that's almost become a stocking stuffer now. It's just here's your new that and chargers. I've never seen what is it about teenagers that they cannot keep up with their chargers? I don't get it. I've had the same charger for like a hundred years. I had chargers before they were even chargers, and it's the same one. I don't lose it, right? I, I've, you know, I've got one in my in my brief, you know, kind of my bag that I take back and forth to work. I've got, I, I guess you can't call it a briefcase anymore. Nobody carries a briefcase, but you know, I've got one that you know I leave by my bed where I charge my phone. And constantly, my kids are like, "I can't find my charger. What'd you do with it? <laughs> I don't get it." So, chargers and earbuds, AirPods, whatever. I'm a Samsung guy. I'm, I'm with the other 75 percent of the population that has a real phone. Um, truth. <laughs> I just speak the truth. Just saying. Just exactly. If you want to know the truth, listen to this show. And, and but you know, watches were a, a previous gift. So, but this year you can't even do that, right? Because uh, Apple's now having to suspend their watch sales. But you know, like I said, you know, so <clears throat> if people are spending less on products because they don't have money or whatever the reason is right and that's what leads to your decline in economic activity now, now I'm not saying a recession mind you right we're just going to go from 3% growth to say one right let's just let's just do that just a modest decline in economic activity 3% growth to 1% growth next year um as as inflation comes down theoretically this is the this is the story so just just i you know i won't tell you the answer right but in your own mind formulate how do you grow earnings to $220 a share from $190 a share right now how do you get from 190 to 220 in earnings per share if you have solar economic activity. Right? And this is the dichotomy of the markets. Markets are pricing out the market. So this entire rally that we've had since the end of October is a value, it's what we call valuation expansion, right? Earnings aren't growing to keep up with the prices in the markets. We're just increasing valuation. So we're we're doing a multiple expansion move in the markets right now. On this assumption that next year earnings are going to catch up with stock prices. But it doesn't really make a lot of sense when you're talking about this economic soft recession, soft landing, whatever you want to call it, the environment. So, this is the dichotomy. So, you know, when you start talking about, okay, so where you know should i be looking to invest next year well this is the problem for the small cap mid cap story as we were saying earlier small caps and mid caps are very economically sensitive for a couple of reasons one they don't have huge profit margins in most cases they're they're not like an apple right where they have just billions of dollars in revenue they don't they're not sitting on 170 billion dollars in cash in their bank account where they can weather an economic slowdown without any impact to their company. As we've talked about before, you know, more than 20% of small cap mid caps are what we call zombie companies. They're having to issue debt just to stay alive, right? So if the economy slows down, that just that number just gets worse. They're very economically sensitive. They don't have a lot of, of excess capacity. The other thing they can't do is they don't do stock buybacks, which has been a big driver for profit margins for for big companies. So if they're economically sensitive and you're betting on an economic slowdown, small cap mid caps shouldn't be, in theory, the place to be. So what about large caps? Well, in an economic slowdown, in a disinflationary environment, you've got to gravitate towards companies that have the ability to grow earnings in a slower growth disinflationary environment. That's technology. In fact, if you look at earnings projections for next year, that, that $220 a share is all in technology. Outside of the, the sector of technology, earnings are expected to decline uh, really kind of across the board. So this is where it's going to be the big challenge, right? Are we going to have another year where it's technology leading the way and everything else is lagging? Or is it going to be a rotation year where these kind of out-of-favor sectors play catch-up? Now, we've seen this before, mind you, right? We talked about this in 2021 when oil prices went negative. Everybody hated oil stocks. Remember, we had ESG back then, that that <laughs> that whole theory about environmental, social governance, and you were writing articles about what a scam it was. Well, everybody hated oil stocks back then. In uh, 2022, they were the big winners, Right, so you had a massive rotation, and that can happen. Right, healthcare is a good example. Healthcare has been really out of favor, except for just one or two stocks this year. They have good earnings growth, good earnings potential, right, but they've been very out of favor. They pay dividends, so is healthcare going to have its year next year? Now, and look, we've talked about rotations before in the market. You know, generally, whatever leads one year tends not to lead the next year. That's just kind of the way it, the, kind of the way the cookie crumbles, so to speak. But you know, it's not uncommon for what leads in one year to lead the next year too. for you know one or two years is not uncommon. And then you get a rotation somewhere else. But th- this da- this this idea of this soft landing has consequences to it. Yes, you may have a soft landing. you may actually avoid a recession. That's possible because of all this money that we have floating around the market still. But there is going to be a consequence of that if the fed gets their wish of lower inflation. So this is where it's going to become a lot more challenging for these a lot of these predictions about next year to come true. And look, we always have these predictions going to year end. This is the the big, you know, this is the the big ego of Wall Street at work is like, "Oh, well next year, you want to be invested in this and this and this because this is going to this is the way it's going to be." And it's always bullish, is always optimistic. And most of the time it doesn't work out that way <laughs> however they they expect it to be you know think something else ha- tends to happen as bob farrell once said you know when all experts agree something else tends to happen well right now the vast majority of experts agree that there's going to be a soft landing next year and we'll avoid a recession which maybe we won't i don't know i do know that there's a lot of liquidity in the markets i do know there's a lot of risk in the markets, and you know i do know that things are overbought and extended on a lot of different fronts i do i do realize that the decline in yields is going to potentially reignite inflation next year which is going to be a problem for the fed that's what i'm saying you can't really bet on these expectations that everything's just going to be fine next year there's a lot of counter competing forces at play underlying the economy right now that we're going to have to just navigate next year. And so it's going to be important that we just stay nimble and that we and that we respect what's going on in the markets for what it is and try not to get too wrapped up in these big macro views that the markets don't really pay much attention to, which is what we saw a lot this year. Okay, when we come back from the break. I want to talk about something just as we get ready to wrap up because i i heard a guy yesterday i was getting ready to do a, a, a interview on fox business and i was listening to you know the people kind of you know, i could hear on the mic the people in front of me talking about returns and the you know mutual fund returns you know this 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 particular investment's been great and when this happens in one year this is you know what happens over the next 12 and 24 months When we come back from the break, I want to talk to you a little bit about the risk of, of that type of analysis. Don't go away. investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. Uh, So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about returns. And I see this quite often from people that You know, they email me and I go, well, what's been your returns over the last, you know, three, one, three, five, ten years? Or, you know, they talk about a mutual fund. Oh, I like this mutual fund. You know, it's had these great one, three, five year, ten year returns. It's Very deceptive. And you want to be careful of it when you're making your decisions. Because when you hear that, right, it sounds great. Over the last ten years, this fund has, you know, done X. And that's why there's always this disclaimer at the bottom. It says past performance is no guarantee of future results. But this also goes with a lot of this market analysis that you'll see as well. It's like, well, you know, every time the market is up, you know, X in this month or this quarter, whatever, the next 12 months, the market's done this. good example was this year, right? Um, Earlier this year, Markets were up, you know, 10%, more than 10% in the first half of the year, right? And the analysis came out and said, hey, whenever the market's up this much in the first half of the year, the markets tend to be up, you know, 12% through the rest of the year, whatever the number is, right? Well, the problem is this, and this is where you've got to be really careful with this analysis, is that that analysis doesn't take into account or doesn't tell you about the drawdowns that happen in between. Good example was this year. You know, In July, everybody's super bullish on the markets, then they give up a huge chunk of their gains by October. And what are they doing? They're selling out of the market. They're getting out. And then the market rallies through the end of the year, and, and sure, the statistics hold true, but they're not in it because they got out because of the sell-off. Same thing happens in a lot of this mutual fund analysis where it says, you know, the, the last, you know, three, five, 10 year returns are X. Well, they don't tell you about the massive drawdowns in between where probably you sold out of the market. So it's always better when you're looking at, you know, returns of something is to look at the annual rate of return. And compare that to the, the events that was occurring in the markets at that time. Right. So, for instance, you know, I like, you know, I like this particular mutual fund, whatever it is. How did it do in 2008? How did it if it's been around long enough? How did it do in 2001 and two? How did it do in March of 2020? That's what you want to know. Right. It doesn't matter whether or not the, you know, the fund beat an index from one year to the next. Who cares? Did it make you money? Yeah. But how did it do? In those down years, how much money did you lose? And the reason this is important is simply because of the fact that you're not going to hold the downturn. Everybody has the best of intentions of doing so, but I can tell you after 30, almost shoot, almost 40 years of doing this now, people don't do that. As soon as there's a, a major part of a downturn, they're out. And then they don't get back in until way later. So those 1, 10-year returns are, are very deceptive about what, what's going to actually happen to your money. And, and if there's a major crash in between that 3-year and 5-year point or that 5-year and 10-year point, it's not going to reflect it. And here's the other thing about this. It's all about when you start investing. Good example, right? Let's just assume for a second that you pick out Oh, let's just use an S&P index fund. Just, it's, I'm, I'm going to buy this S&P index fund. And I look back at the track record and it says, this S&P index fund has returned you know, 15% a year on average over the last 10 years, and its returns over the last 3, 5, and 10 years have been this. And you go, well, pff, how can I go wrong with that? So you buy it in January of 2008. The returns clearly suggest that this thing only goes up. It goes up 15% a year. I'm making up numbers, by the way. But, you know, it says it says this funds are going to go up 15% a year every year because that's been the average rate of return. So you buy it in January of 2008. How did you do over the next five years? When you look back over the next five years, what were your three-year and five-year returns? Was it 15% a year? Another good example, I'll just say, you know, you looked at a fund in January of 2022 and said, oh, over the last, you know, three, five, 10 years, this this fund returns, you know, 8% a year, whatever it is. You've had two, two years of that fund doing nothing. Because you're basically where you are back in January of 2022. So, you know, so it's important these, you know, these measures of performance, averages, those type of things are really dangerous when you're doing your own analysis. Throw that stuff out. That's not important. Look at how these funds actually performed from one year to the next, whether it's a mutual fund or an ETF, whatever it is. Look at how it performed from one year to the next. How did it do in good years? How did it do in bad years? There's, and look, And have the expectation that no fund manager ever anywhere on the planet is going to beat an index every single year. Things happen. You know, if I'm a large cap manager and you have a year where small caps are outperforming, which happens, then I'm going to underperform that year. But there's a a, you know, there's a factor that you have to include in that analysis. So just looking for the, you know, whatever fund is going to make you the most money is very dangerous because you're going to buy the hot performing fund and you're going to lose a whole lot of money when, when the market goes against that manager at some point. So you have to have your expectations aligned with some reality. Does the fund make money when the market goes up? Yes. Okay, that's great. How does it do when the markets go down? How much time are you spending getting back to even? You know, during a decline. See, those are the important questions as you start to do your analysis. But you know, looking at Morningstar ratings. Oh, here's the one, three, five year, ten year, rate of return. No, throw that out. It's terrible. It doesn't tell you anything. It tells you how it did. But when did you start? When did you buy the fund? And what happened in between that three-year and five-year mark? What happened between that three-year and that 10-year mark? What happened to your money? And, and, and be realistic with yourself. Would you actually still be in the fund when it lost 50% of its money? And you know the answer. So just something to think about. I just, you know, that that stuff just gets to me when I when I hear people talk about this stuff because it's completely unrealistic and it leads to bad outcomes over time. Psychology is a our our investor side, you know, our our you know our, our behaviors and our psychology are, are the are the biggest challenges we face as investors. And you need to have a good assessment of your own personal psychology and behaviors. You know, if you have unrealistic expectations, you're always going to be disappointed with the markets. Because they're not going to live up to your expectations, so you need to adjust your expectations for reality. So you know, understand that behavior, understand that psychology, and 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 make those changes. Okay, interesting article out um, this morning. I was reading this because I I run into a lot of these people from time to time, and it is a new world that with that. that um, we live in today. There's, you know, because of the internet and YouTube and TikTok and, you know, all this stuff, there's, you know, a lot of things. It's, you know, kind of the interesting story is like, you know, your kid plays video games, like, son, you've got to quit play. I, I told my kids this. Son, you got to quit playing video games, to get out there in the real world because you got to figure out how to make money. Well, pfft, there's a whole career in playing video games now that makes money. In fact, it's one of the highest paying jobs without a degree is a video game streamer. Yeah, believe it or not, you, you, you know, if you're old like me, right, there are actually people who will pay to watch other people play video games. I tried to start an online service of people watching me play solitaire, but it didn't really work. But <laughs> there are actually people, you know, that, that you know, will... will Pay your kids to watch them play video games. So if they're good at video games, I guess don't discourage them. Right? There's a there's a career that pays between one hundred thirty six and one hundred seventy thousand a year playing video games. Affiliate marketing. You see a lot of this on, uh, you know, TikTok and other stuff. How to be an affiliate marketer. Most of it's a scam, but if you if you're actually good at affiliate marketing, seventy two to one hundred forty two thousand a year. If you can create content, there's actually job openings on um, in, Indeed and ZipRecruiter for content creators. So if you're actually good at creating content, there's actually job openings. There's companies that need content creators to come create content for them so they can put it on Facebook, YouTube, etc. And they can you know, sell their products, etc. They, they need followers just like everybody else. But if you're good at creating content, one hundred fifteen to $128,000 a year. Social media manager... You need somebody to come in and manage your social media for you, help you be a little bit better. $64,000 to $113,000. And if you're good at influencing people, yes, an influencer. $65,000 to $104,000 a year to influence other people. And it's interesting because you hear a lot of, you know, I heard a commercial the other day for um, iHeartRadio, the, the app. And they were talking about the fact that, you know, I got to have, you know, influencers to reach our audiences. And, and that's, you know, they're paying people to go out there and be influencers. So, you know, it's a new world we live in. Stuff that you thought was kind of stupid actually pays money. <laughs> so there you go all right wraps up the show for today be back tomorrow with michael Leibwitz. we will talk a little bit about you know the fed the the mess they've got themselves into and what that might mean for the markets next year so have a great day be back here tomorrow be sure and get registered for the upcoming uh seminar january 27th with greg valier at hotel Sinesta. tickets are online now getting sell t- sales are going on tickets are selling so don't miss out on your spot go by the website realinvestmentadvice.com click the banner at the top get your tickets now And uh, that's coming up January 27th. All right. See you back here tomorrow.